I, I kind of know that this is the last live streaming Sunday because my wife told me, but I think I forgot. So maybe we can sign off like uh, this is Trinity Methodist Church signing off in the end. No. Before I start, can you close your eyes? Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we are indeed privileged to be able to gather here this morning in this, in this place, in this sanctuary, your house of prayer. And we ask that, Lord, you will be present in our midst and more importantly, within our heart of hearts. And help us, Lord, to cast away all our anxieties, whatever thoughts and worries in our minds, so that we can truly sit at your feet to listen to what you have to say to us. And so, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. I, I need to control my laptop, and so if, if I do falter, this would be the reason. Yeah? Today is Palm Sunday, and, and I chose to finally arrive at a sermon title, Expectations. I think this is the seventh or eighth iteration uh, of how I thought um, the title should be. And because at the end of the day, it, it amounts to our expectations of who Jesus is. As Pastor Shen led us in the collective prayer towards the end when we, he has asked us to pray for ourselves, and the prayer that was prayed is so spot on that we need to be careful that we don't expect God to act, to carry out His purposes according to our purposes, but His. So there are a trail of twos, to ex two entries, two extremes, and two expectations. Okay. The key verse that was read for us by our sister Sally is verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. I mean, I imagine everybody was who is anybody would know about this person, Jesus, coming into the city. And they ask, who is this? Who is he, this Jesus, that they have heard about for so long? The big idea is this. 
Your expectations, my expectations, all of our expectations of God, God's very nature, His character, His conduct, what He does or does not do, God's behavior is based pretty much on who we think or believe Jesus to be. And, and I'm sure you will agree with me, if we think or believe a person is unworthy of trust or is not trustworthy, then your expectations of that person will be in a certain manner. On the other hand, if you believe and trust someone with everything, then your expectations of that person would be such and such. And so the crux, the big idea is that how we regard Jesus to be who this person is to us, it will form, shape, and color our expectations of God. Let's start off with the entries. Now, historical records tell us that aside from Jesus of Nazareth entering into Jerusalem, Pontius Pilate, the then governor of Judea, which included Jerusalem, he entered Jerusalem. And based on the various commentators and biblical scholars and historians, we were not able to put down an exact date to say that Pontius Pilate and Jesus of Nazareth entered Jerusalem on the same day. Although there are certain biblical scholars who propose that to be. But I would take the position that Pontius Pilate entered Jerusalem perhaps days, a few days, not too long before Jesus did. So we have the entrance of the governor and the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem, pretty close to one another. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee, entered Jerusalem on what is now celebrated as Palm Sunday. Today, Jesus entered Jerusalem. Not very difficult to search for pictures and graphics. Google has helped out. And I, I picked out these two images to kind of represent what could have been the scene if you and I were present roughly 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, perhaps a few days apart, to witness the entries of these two notable historical personalities, Pontius Pilate with his garrison of Roman soldiers, centurions, with horses, perhaps even chariots, and Jesus riding on the foal 
of a donkey and the disciples waving palm branches, fronds. I think those fronds were much bigger than these fronds, which my wife cut from our garden this morning. Pilate intentionally timed his entry during the Passover in order to demonstrate a show of force to the Jews to prevent and, if need be, to put down any uprising that may occur. Historical records told us that years and years ago, there were constant uprising among the Jews against the Roman oppressors. And on this very important festival and religious occasion of the Jews, Pilate wanted a show of force because there were so many Jews gathered in the city of Jerusalem in that period of time. So that was Pilate's objective. So this Passover is not something that is unfamiliar to us. It is a celebration to commemorate the freedom the celebration of deliverance of the Jews from a foreign dominion power, which was Egypt at that time. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, allow me to read this, says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 5 in the passage that was read to us, and allow me to read that for us. Is taken from Zechariah. Hosanna! Sorry, say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The point I'm trying to make this morning is that Zechariah, the passage in Zechariah would very, very likely have reminded the crowd that it is a prophecy in time that Jesus would enter in triumph. And, and we all know that Palm Sunday is sometimes called the triumphal entry of Jesus. And so it gives them this, it primed the crowd to a certain level of expectation. So Zechariah 9 prophesizes judgment on Israel's enemy in verse 8, the second part. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people. And I think the message that the crowd heard 
on that occasion when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, riding on the foal of a donkey, is that God will once again deliver the Jewish people from their Roman oppressor through Jesus. And so we see a, a case where there are two extremes, Pilate's and Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, and each carried a message. And those messages cannot be more extreme and opposite from one another. And as I was preparing this, I tried to imagine if I were there, and if you and I were there in that time, whose parade would you be attending? Would you go out for one or the other or neither or both? I don't know. But what matters is not whether we are physically there in either or both of the parades, but how we regard Pilate and Jesus to be in the circumstances that the Jews will face in that time of occupation. So the two extremes is this. On one hand, Pilate's entry asserts or demonstrates the power and might of the Roman Empire, which threatens to crush all opposition. The message is to subdue them. On the other hand, the message that came with Jesus' entry it embodies the humility and peace of God that brings the promise of freedom. And in the liturgy earlier, it's the freedom from fear. It's the freedom from oppression. And the freedom is for all the people. Very clearly, two extreme messages. And I thought, as I was researching and reading into this, I'll just put it simply in a table. I'd just like to draw attention to the last row. Pilate's intention is to achieve triumph over rebellion and freedom. Jesus is triumphing, triumphing over sin, over death, over Satan himself. That represents the two extremes. And I wonder too that if there were two crowds, one at the entry of Pilate and the other at the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, what would they be shouting or crying we know in Jesus' instance, when he came, the crowd was shouting, Hosanna, the son of David. I wonder if any, if the crowd that were lining the streets 
when Pilate came into Jerusalem, why were they shouting? In fact, I was thinking, Jerusalem is where the Jews have gathered. They could be there, they could be forced to line the streets, but I doubt there would be very much shouting. They would probably be silent, staring at the soldiers. Again, there could be Jews who were on the side of the Romans because of the obvious advantage to be pro-Roman, the strong conqueror. Maybe they would be shouting, long live Caesar, something like that. But the other point, and I know you, we, have, we have all been very familiar with the story, the triumphal entry, and within a few days, within that very week, we see an extreme turnaround, a 180-degree turn of the very crowd's behavior. The same people who shouted Hosanna a few days later would raise their hands and their fists and say, crucify him. Crucify him. I thought I would put another graphic just to help us see the extreme swing of the crowd, one of adoration, of hope, to anger, disappointment, all within a few days. I'd like to tell a very funny story about this Native American Indian person. Based on what I can understand of the Native American tribe, when a child is born, the first sight, the first thing the parents would hear or see would ultimately be what the child is named. So if a child is born, a son is born, and the mother saw a horse running away, he will be called running horse, something like that. Or at the point of birth, the eagle was circling overhead. The child may be called flying eagle. Or if a bull were to happen to sit down, then he'll be called chief sitting bull. Yes, history is able to tell us of such a person. So this, this, this person, this Native American Indian, his name is, he's a chief. A chief screeching train whistle. Let me say that again. It's his name. Chief screeching train whistle. Now, come on, take a guess. What happened when he was born? He was born near a railway line. The first thing the mother saw or heard was this train coming by and the whistle was blowing. So he was unfortunately named 
chief screeching train whistle. And therefore, it is not surprising that he stood before a judge in Arizona. This was the turn of the century. Made a petition to change his name. I don't blame him. If my parents were to name me chief, <laughs> even without the chief, screeching train whistle. So the judge asked him, why? He said, isn't it obvious if my name is chief screeching train whistle? i got to read it. This it's not a name that is easy to, to, to remember. Fine, the judge said, I will allow that, that he had to... Uh, Make, take an oath and do all the paperwork. Then the, 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 the judge leaned over and asked him, so, what is your new name? And the chief drew himself into full stature, looked proudly at the judge and said, Toots. T-O-O-T-S. From a screeching train whistle... Now this, I imagine him to be a burly, six-foot, muscular Indian chief. His name is Toots. Frankly, if I were to meet that man, I dare not call him Toots for fear of what he may do to me. And then the judge said, okay, are you sure? He said, yes. Why? And the answer is this. Toots, I can call him Toots, realized the importance of keeping his identity. He is who he is named after. So he wanted a short form of screeching train whistle, and for whatever reason, when he was before the judge, he thought of this Toots, and there he took on that name. So the, the point of this rather light-hearted story is that Jesus himself, to him, his identity is of paramount importance. And so at one point, he gathered his disciples before the triumphal entry. This is in, verse, in chapter 16. He gathered his disciples and asked them, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do people say the Son of Man is? Some believed he was a prophet because the crowd actually said that. He's a prophet of Nazareth or a king. While others believed he was the Son of God. And it's a spectrum, a continuum of beliefs, whether you think Jesus is a mere prophet. You know, when, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? The, the, the disciples told Jesus um, that maybe you are, they, they say you are uh, the reincarnation of John the Baptist uh, or Elijah or of Jeremiah. So, who we believe Jesus to be is a whole spread from a mere man, not a God, to actually 
the Son of God. And based on that spread of who we think and believe Jesus to be, our expectations of Jesus will have a spread of spectrum as well. Later on, he asked them, okay, that's what they thought I was. But who? What about you? Who do you say I am? It took Peter in his great confession. And he told Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter got it right. And therefore, on Peter, the rock, God would build his church that would not fail. The question we would ask ourselves this Palm Sunday is, who do we believe Jesus to be? So when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? This is verse 9 and verse 10. And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet. The crowds answered, Jesus, the prophet. They are not wrong, but they are not entirely correct as well. So who Jesus is to us, to you, to me, or what we think or believe Jesus is, will influence, shape, and form our expectations of him. The crowd did not at that time fully understand that he was actually the Son of God, the expected Messiah, not a physical deliverer, but a spiritual deliverer. The crowd, or at least most of them, saw him as a prophet. Yes, he did great miracles. He spoke great sermons, words from God. But that is pretty much about it. The popular belief at that time in, I wouldn't even say Israel because they are not a nation, in the Jewish history was that Jesus was to be their deliverer from Roman occupation because they have been under Roman rule for a long time. However, when Jesus did not meet their expectations, very clearly, Jesus was captured, Jesus was put on trial, and clearly would not be let go. And the crowd who looked to Jesus as the deliverer did not see their expectations of him come to fruition, and therefore they were disappointed, angered, and that caused them to turn against Jesus and screamed, crucify him. Even those today or in those days who believe sincerely that Jesus was the Son of God, but still their own expectations of Him varied. 
come down from the cross, the crowd shouted, if you are the Son of God. Others said this. He saved others, but he can't save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and then we will believe. I know of Christian friends, brothers, sisters, who at one point or another in their walk have turned away. People who should have been here sitting among us are no longer with us. They have turned away from the faith. For reasons among them that their expectations of God did not pan out, did not materialize the way they wanted to be. I don't need to go into some of the tragic circumstances of hopes. God, if you are really God, heal my son or heal me. Deliver from cancer. And when that was not fulfilled, did not meet their expectations, they turned away. The crowd on that crucifixion day, many walked away shaking their heads because their expectations of Jesus did not come to pass as how and when and what they wanted. So it is really very sobering that Pastor Shen led us in that prayer that we be careful, that we search our hearts so that we do not treat God as a vending machine. God, if you are God, you must do this. If not, you are not God. Remember, this is the God who is the I am whom I am. This is the God whom Job says, naked I came into the world. Naked shall I return. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What a faith. What a conviction Job has. What is your expectations? So even if we do believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we do well not to expect God to be and or to act in the way we want Him to. Let God be God. It was last year, I'm scanning, I don't see our brother Chok Kao, 
He said something that I remember until today. He said, I would probably misquote him, but this is the gist of what Brother Chokkal said. Do not judge God by the outcome of circumstances. Do not judge God by circumstances or the result of certain circumstances. COVID-19, God, how can? But rather, he said, judge these circumstances, the way it evolved, the way it pans out by God. And I think what he meant was whatever things that turn out differently or not to our benefits, look at that, look at God. Excuse me, look at God, understand God, and try to make sense of why God allowed these things to happen. I may take one step further and say, better still, don't judge at all. Just trust. Because God is God. If I were God, if, I, if we were to ask ourselves, if I were God, if you were God, what would you do? If I were God, I, I, would not, I would not use the plan that God has in the Bible to save man. I would just twinkle my fingers and humankind will be saved. Why would I, God, send my beloved only begotten son to the cross to die for sinners? Nah, I wouldn't do that. If I were God. If I were God, no, there will be no cancer, no, nothing. There will be no other, other religions and whatever. There will be heaven on earth. But you are not God. I am not God. You see the problem of creating God in our image? Is we don't let God be God. We wanted God to conform to our image of who he is supposed to be. And I think a lot of us fall into this problem. And some would even shake their heads. If God, if this is the God of who I used to worship, I no longer want to. And they walk away. We pray, thy will be done in the Lord's prayer just a few minutes ago. Not our will, God's will. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when things turn out differently, let us not be so quick to shake our fist at God and question God. The most Repeated questions that you and I, yes, I've gone through disappointments as all. We always ask God, why? Right? Why does it happen to me? Why this doesn't happen? Why that? Haven't I been good? Haven't I been going to church every day or every month or every week? Why? Why tells me that 
we don't allow God's will to be. We, we are questioning God to His face. Let God be God. So in summary, entry, extremes, expectations. Yes, Jesus entered into Jerusalem. And I think a more important entrance I would like to share and pose to us today in this house of prayer or in in the online world, have you allowed God to enter into your lives, into your hearts fully? Let this Palm Sunday be a triumphal entry of God through the Holy Spirit into our lives, into our hearts as King of Kings. Extremes. You know, I've often held this position and those people in our CG knows about this. We, at least I, in, 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 through education and through parents and even through church, the, the, wis- the, the wisest thing for us to be in life is to be moderate. Why so extreme? Be moderate. And then I look at some of the verses and some of the words of Scripture. Jesus says what to us? Love Him with all our hearts, our soul, our mind, our strength. All. Isn't that a bit extreme? Those who seek to save His life will lose it, but those who lose His life for God's sake will save it. Very extreme. You can't come to me until, unless you hate your brother, your sister, your mother, your father. Isn't that an extreme teaching? And for those of us who are parents, <clears throat> can you imagine your, your son or your daughter coming up to you and, and she, he and she tells you, Daddy or Mommy, I love you with all my strength, my heart, my everything, my soul. Would any parent today tell the child, or son or daughter, no, 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 don't, 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 don't love me so much. Uh, be moderate. Eh? Would God be disappointed at us if we truly, truly love Him with all our heart, our might, our soul? Would God come to you and say, Chen, uh, that's a bit extreme. Tone it down a bit, you know? <laughs> Is that the God you and I believe in? No, I think the reverse is true. Revelations, you're neither hot nor cold, therefore I'll spew you out from my mouth. Brothers and sisters, the Christian faith is a fanatical faith. It's a faith calling us to be extreme, taking up the cross daily, following in His steps. If this is not extreme, I do not know what is. The jolt I got in preparing this message is none other than this. And in my prayer, I pray, but I don't, have, I don't see the strength. But I pray that God will make me into an extremist Christian, that I would love Him. 
in a way that I have never loved him before. That kind of extreme. Expectations. What do we expect of God? Is due or is the result of who we believe Jesus to be? The Son of God. The King of Kings. May we treat Him as such and not create a God after our own whims and fancies and image. Know that Jesus, the Son of God, wants to enter our hearts. Know that for certain. But He is a gentleman. We need to invite Him in. He will come in to eat with us, to sup with us. Be extreme in our faith, our trust, our obedience, and our love of Him. Do not expect God to be or act out His purposes according to our will. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'll very quickly go through the three questions. I decided not to, to interrupt with the three questions because the flow. So these are the three questions. I'll just read it. Is there anything holding you back from allowing Jesus to fully enter into your heart and life? What help do you need? Tell someone. Encourage you to take a look at these three questions and in the course of this week, reflect on them honestly. And I think God will do a great work in our lives if we do that. Question two. How can your faith, your trust, your obedience, there's this hymn, right? Trust and obey for there's no other way. And our love for God be lifted up to a higher level of extremity. A higher plane than I have found. We are in the process of sanctification. The pastor will have to correct me if my theology is wrong. We grow closer and closer in Christ-likeness. But this side of heaven, it will not be completed. So the Christian walk is a walk of growth, not stagnation. So in this Palm Sunday, let us be encouraged to take that walk to be closer, to be more extreme, in our love, our trust, obedience for Christ. Finally, what are some of your expectations of God that you may need or want to rethink, reconsider in the light of who Jesus really is to you? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you came that man need not die the second death. Father, we ask for your forgiveness for we have 
being so confused and so utterly selfish in some of our expectations of who you are. We ask that in this season leading up to Easter, as we pray and meditate on you and your word, that your spirit will do a refining work in our lives, that we may have our hearts lifted up. And if there be any blockages and restrictions in our heart, we pray that your spirit will come and convict and cleanse us and make us to be as white as snow. For against you and you alone have we sinned and done that which is evil in your sight. Be with us as we celebrate Easter in the days to come. May our expectations of you be formed and shaped as our understanding and knowledge of who you are continue to grow through your Spirit's intervention in our lives. In Christ's matchless name we pray. Amen.